Give your daughters difficult names. Names that command the full use of the tongue. My name makes you want to tell me the truth. My name does not allow me to trust anyone who cannot pronounce it right. Washan Shire. Many of my role models, contemporaries, but especially ancestors, have a name that brings the tongue to worship. Names that feel like ritual in your mouth. I don't want a name said without pause, muttered without intention. I am through with names that leave me unmoved. Names that leave the speaker's mouth unscathed. I want a name like fire, like rebellion, like my hand gripping Massa's whip. I want a name from before the ships. A name Officer Wilson might choke on. I want a name that catches you in the throat if you say it wrong. And if you're afraid to say it wrong, then I guess you should be. I want a name only the brave can say. A name that only fits right in the mouth of those who love me right because only the brave can love me right. I'll say to Shango is the name you take when you are tired of bearing your jewels under thick layers of soot and self-doubt. I'll say to the light Shango, the pickaxe so that people must mine your soul just to get your attention if you have to ask why I changed my name. It is already too far beyond your comprehension. Call me callous, but with a name like Shango, I cannot afford to tread lightly. You go hard or you go home, and I am centuries and ships away from any semblance of a homeland. I'm a thieves poor bookkeeping skills away from any source of ancestry. I am blindly collecting the shattered pieces of a continent much larger than my comprehension. I aim to people. Their eyes peering over my journal, looking for a history they can rewrite. Ask me what n my name means. What the fuck does your name mean, Jackie? Not every word needs an English equivalent in order to have significance. I am done folding myself up to fit your stereotype, your black friend, your African queen meme, your desire to learn the wreck of solidarity without the practice. I am trying to build a country, a continent, a home. The body is a safeless place when you do not know its name. I say too is what it sounds like when you are trying to bend syllables into a home. With shaky shudders and wind whistling through your empty, I feel empty, motherless. There is no home in a body, no safety in a name. A name is honestly just a name. Well, that's not quite right. A name is honestly just a ritual. And mine still sounds like reverence. Wow. Well, that's a good way to start a podcast. <laughs> I know a couple of our listeners were like, what, did I have the right episode? <laughs> but wow, just wow. Okay, I guess uh, we're in for a, a treat <laughs> today. Um, welcome to the Culture Class Podcast, the podcast where we get to interact with people from different backgrounds, get to learn about other cultures in a casual way. And today I have a very special guest. As you guys can tell <laughs> from the introduction, she is an excellent poet. She's a community activist. She is currently the poet laureate of Aurora, a city in Colorado. She teaches fourth graders poetry, apparently. <laughs> Occasionally, you know. <laughs> so she's an all-around superwoman, a strong black woman. Welcome to the podcast, I see you too. Thank you so much for having me. My goodness. 
First things first, how, how was your day? Let, 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 <laughs> let's not get into the serious stuff. Let's, let's do some what small talk. What else is there? <laughs> um, my day was great. So yes, I was teaching fourth graders today um, through a company called Lighthouse Writers Workshop. Mm. So they uh, put me in the classroom for a four-week tour with fourth graders. And then um, on the fifth week, we get a poetry night. And so they get to share their poems with their families and friends and peers. Uh, it's just a really important experience for them to have as young people to to find out that their voice is important important and, you know yeah so, definitely yeah. definitely like but poetry fourth grade like i was trying to think when i was in fourth grade <laughs> what's the equivalent of fourth grade in west africa i don't know maybe like <laughs> primary two primary one something but like what was i doing like could i like could i even deliver poetry in fourth grade i don't know how are your students like mm. do they like do you see real potential in some of your students i do they mostly like <laughs> just make you smile and laugh i mean like so when they're just being themselves in the classroom i'm like oh these silly kids but then when they read their work i'm like whoa stuff is working like they are really thinking about stuff i had a fourth grader a couple of years ago uh, write a poem about mass shootings a fourth grade. Wait, so a couple Without of years prompt. ago. So you've been doing this for a while. So yeah. So I have been teaching workshops since 2015. Uh, mm. I went full time about a year and a half ago. So yeah. Mass shootings. Wow. Can can yeah. you remember a few lines from that oh, piece? I can't. But I do remember this metaphor he used. He says, "I am the pavement. I'm strong. Like I'm the pavement that cars ride over. I'm strong, and you cannot easily break me." wow okay like wow. i guess um Fourth so yeah grade. they have a lot to share and i think it's really um you know culturally speaking we don't we don't look to our children to to be paying attention in these ways and to have these Correct. really highly processed thoughts but they do in the moment that they're able to create and express that there's so much wisdom there correct i mean, I mean i'm african so some most African parents, even when you're 40, they don't look at you as having right. <laughs> being able to process. Welcome to my mother. <laughs> like, even if you're 55, they're like, look, right. you're still a baby in my eye. <laughs> I know. I get that, though. Like, our parents see us at our absolute worst. So it doesn't make any sense to them that we should be individuals on our own making decisions. They're just like, you don't know how to use a spoon last time I checked, <laughs> you know? I like, know, right? And sometimes I, I, I like to from. imagine, I don't have kids yet, but I like to imagine, like, will I teach my, like, will I behave towards my kids differently from how my parents behave i don't know i wonder too like sometimes you want to do what's right but sometimes it's always like but well, anyway i guess we'll find out yeah, <laughs> in the yeah, future yeah. so future me if you're listening to this <laughs> it'll be all right be know? nice to them <laughs> they're figuring it out gotcha gotcha <laughs> wow you know what the very first question on my note was hmm. Was about your name. I actually. knew it was. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it was. So you set me up with that intro. <laughs> you set me up with that intro because I was like, wait, Ashetu Zango. I was like trying to look for meanings of your name. I was like, wait, wait, mm -hmm. where exactly did that come from? What I didn't does choose it, mean? it for the meaning. I didn't mm. choose it for the meaning, at least not, you know, um, somebody else's meaning. Uh, Ashetu was the name that I was given uh, before I traveled to Mali in West Africa. Um, it's a common Malian name. And so I, I like it because um, the meaning isn't important. And I like it when people ask, what does it mean? Because it's like, what the fuck does your name mean, Jackie? Like, you have never had to answer that question in your life. I have. Oh, of course you have. <laughs> because your name is foreign, right? There's gotcha. this whole perspective 
perspective that as, you know, Western society, United States citizens, that our reality is the only reality. And so I really just like to poke at that reality. I know, right? You know, something that's always been like puzzling to me Mm -hmm. as a foreigner like where I come from, if you're shortening a name, like a name can be Olufemi mm-hmm. and you shorten it to Femi. Mm-hmm. Or my name is Nosa Kai mm. and you shorten it to Nosa. Right. Right. But what's with the William and Bill? Like that's Listen, a to- totally I different name. I have no idea. No idea. <laughs> or, and it, like, yeah. Like, and they think that's normal. Like, how dare you question their name? Yeah, like, like I, that's like, your thing. There was a time I was reading about Bill Clinton and it was like his name was William Jefferson Clinton. I was like, where is the... <laughs> Who is... Where is Bill? <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> I feel you. No, but, it's, it's, it's super ridiculous. Like, <laughs> it's all super ridiculous of i i am here and i have a name that's that's normal or common i had somebody tell me oh yeah my name is simple it's just jane and i'm like okay jane i don't want to talk Plain to you jane. anymore <laughs> right like you're clear and it and it does it weeds people out that washan shire quote that i said in the beginning um she's a, she's an incredible poet that i that i just i love all of her work and i liked her before beyonce um so just throwing Wait, that beyonce out there use her work yeah she put um some of her poems in lemonade Nice. And I, I heard Washan Shire's poem. I just sort of lost it, and it, it, it almost seems like Beyonce d- studies a lot because she used like Chimamanda Adichie, which mm-hmm. is like a Nigerian author. She like uses a lot of references because to really go yeah, deep yeah. into like powerful literary works and turn that into music. It's, I mean, I'm I impressed. don't know. She's more than a it's pop not princess. That deep like. though, like it's not hard to find Chimamanda or Washan. Like I know, but how many you know pop stars take the time to like put meaning besides hip hop, like popular music and other kinds of music huh. don't really have. If it's not relating to love or something, it's like hip hop that was born out of like a place of oppression and you know you need to let your voice be heard and you right, need to communicate right, right. a certain message actually I guess from songs all, like The Message but that's you know? all I listen to so when I hear Beyonce it's like that's dope I'm glad that she's bringing that to the mainstream and we've been deep in this for a minute you know what I mean tell, like tell it's me not it. quite <laughs> touching the depth tell, that I need tell me about it tell me about it okay cool cool so uh, let's peel back some of these layers so okay. you were born and raised in Denver mm-hmm. uh, when did you travel to Mali? Uh, that was 2014. 2014. Was that your first trip to... outside of the U.S.? No, it was not. Okay. I went to Europe when I was in the eighth grade, um, 2008. And then I traveled Italy, France, and Spain with a group. Okay. And then um, I took a trip to New Zealand by myself in 2012. And ever since then, I've been taking a trip abroad once a year, at least. Nice. What was your, what was your last trip? Oh, where did I go last? Oh, I went to Costa Rica in February. Nice. My friend got married. Nice. Congratulations really to her. Or yeah. him? Her, yeah. Her. Congratulations, man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let's peel back some of the layers. So you were born and raised in Denver. Mm-hmm. You currently live in Denver. Yes. Let's talk about growing up. Like, what were some of your earliest memories? Because I'm going to get to the poetry side, like, okay. later. But I want to know what was it like for you growing up? Who was like Dominique when mm, you were much mm-hmm, younger mm-hmm. before you knew about any of this stuff? Oh, what, wow. What so was Dominique like? was a blissful child. Mm. She really was. Um, I was, my mom was a single mother until I was 12. 
So it was really just me and my mom, except that my four cousins and my aunt came to stay with us periodically, okay. like like live with us periodically. Um, so oh, they she came. She will never and see you as a grown up. Never. <laughs> you said what? She will never see you as a grown up. Oh I mean, It no. was just you two till you were twelve. Absolutely not. <laughs> no chance of it. Okay. It's amazing that she even lets me travel. But like, <laughs> so yeah. So I grew up in a household with you know a lot of siblings but still had my own thing so i had kind of the best of the both world in terms of only child versus you know youngest child the baby all of that so i was really spoiled um so this was in yeah this was on like quebec street and then so we moved around a lot following kind of my aunt would stay with us we would stay with her we lived literally next door neighbors like adjacent doors um in an apartment building so i had them like my whole early life and then my mom got married and we moved in with my stepdad. Wait, before your mom got remarried, um, it was did married. you? She was never married before. Oh, uh, yeah. before your mom got married. Uh-huh. Um, I'm trying to peel back. How You as a child, mm-hmm. were you curious? Were you very playful? Did you like mm-hmm. to interact with other children? Were you into like comic books or cartoons? <laughs> did you want to grow up faster? What, 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 what was the whole thing? I did not want to grow up faster. I was mm-hmm. a Toys R Us kid. I don't want nice. to grow up. Um, right. Right. Toys <laughs> that was a real important value <laughs> of mine. Um, I was an only child, so I would get, and my cousins were uh, decently older than me, um, so I would get really bummed out that other kids wouldn't play with me. And my mom taught me from a very young age, she was like, play by yourself and they'll join you. So I learned how to be independent in that way. And like, I created my own games, like I would create my own scavenger hunts. And other kids would see me playing and then, like, kind of flock to me. So I learned that skill pretty early on. Uh, what else is there to know? Okay, so as far as what I liked, um, movies, I would watch uh, Ariel. And I would have, a like, one of those machine bubble blowers. And I would just, like, blow bubbles all Ariel, around. Ariel, like Little like, Mermaid? Yeah, Little Mermaid. And I'd nice. be, like, under the sea. That was my thing. I really loved Esmeralda because she was a rebel. <laughs> and Jasmine. Um, so I really, I was always gravitated to like the rebel female characters. Mm, okay. And uh, yeah. Why, why do you think about the whole aerial controversy? Uh, the whole. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it was a whole thing on Twitter. I don't know. Is that movie still in production? I know, right? Like, where did it go? <laughs> yeah, like, I don't hear anything. About I, I'm it. assuming so. I'm hoping so. I don't see why it wouldn't be. But yeah, I mean, Ariel's black. Like, it's okay. (laughs) (laughs) Tell me about it. Deal with it. it. I mean, like, (laughs) Jesus was black and we're, you know, we're not actively complaining about that. So I don't know why we're still talking about it. (laughs) Okay. Okay. So how exactly did the girl, Dominique, Mm -hmm. transition into Asietu? I I can imagine that wasn't a sudden transition. Maybe it was a couple of years. Uh, How did you start? Well, it was a little bit more sudden than that. So, oh, really? Yeah. So, okay. the West Africa trip was disoriented. I have also have a poem about it. If you want to, if you want me to insert that here, yeah, we can. Okay, we can. Um, it's a short one. So, the West Africa trip was disorienting because Wait, I'm sorry. Before you before you start, yeah. Um, was that your very first trip? Trip to Africa. To Africa. Yes. How old were you? I was twenty three. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, so that was disorienting in the sense that despite all of my resistance, I had, as many African Americans have, a idealism around Africa. And this is birthed from being mistreated here, not being fully American, 
um, our bodies basically being illegal. Like, let's just call it what it is, you know. So there is um, an idealization that comes with going back to Africa. And I tried to resist that notion, but it was there. And so when I got there, it was the realization that I am not African. Don't walk the same way. Don't talk the same way. Don't even wipe my butt the same way. Like it was really disorienting. And it was, I was welcome, don't get me wrong. But there was a, there was a palpable difference in um, who I was and that sense of belonging that I had hoped for did not happen quite mm. the way that I'd hoped for it. Mm. Um, and I was warned against this. I can't remember who said it. It might have been Maya Angelou, but the um, somebody who had gone to Africa, African American, said, "Don't don't expect anything from Africa. Like, go willing to give." Mm -hmm. um, and I didn't know how to do that, and I still don't. But I I did expect something, and I was heartbroken. Yeah. Was there a specific experience that made you heartbroken, or it was just yes. like the aura? There was, if we want to get specific. Um, was so your there was stolen from the airport. No, 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 no. <laughs> it was nothing. No, I was never in any danger, um, except that I traveled with this man who had worked in the government. He was very mm. fluent in English. An and American was, man? No, he was. Um, he was Malian. Okay. And so when I met him, there was this immediate like clinging to him because he spoke English, right? Mm. Like I was culture shock than oh, a you motherfucker. Met, you met him on the ground? No, I okay, or, or on the ground. You traveled with him from the U.S.? No, I did not. I met oh. him there. Okay. Yeah. So him speaking English was something that I really clinged on to, and I ignored his misogynistic tendencies mm. and um, traveled with him to Dogon country. And he uh, basically got upset because I wouldn't sleep with him, and he had been buying me things, so... Like, obviously, I'm supposed to. And yes, I'm American, sounds like an, so sounds like obviously. An <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I met some really great people. He was not the best. Um, so he was upset that I didn't sleep with him. So he basically taunted me the whole time with this notion of you are other, you are other. You, oh, you can't even drink the same water. And no, look at you being so American and touristy wow. in this way. Um, which there's some realness to that, right? Like to having an American passport and the privilege that comes along with that and the responsibility that comes along with that, right? So that hit me hard. And I wrote this poem. Going to pull it out. About that trip. During this trip. Actually. During the trip. Yeah. So this was, I was um, like in the middle of the night. Because sometimes, especially the poems that are particularly emotional. Mm. Uh, they'll keep me up. They'll they'll wake me up in the middle of the night and keep wow. me up until I write them down. That powerful, huh? So this was one of those poems. What Africa is not. Africa is not a country, nor an accessory, not your boyfriend's collarbone. Do not exaggerate it on the nights you get lonely. Africa will not comfort you. Desires not to investigate your heritage or justify your lifelong feelings of displacement. Africa does not remember you. Has stopped mourning your loss centuries ago. Africa did not birth you. Does not feel sorry for the privileges your kidnappers have afforded you. Knowledge of Africa will not save you as it has not saved the Africans. You forget the living. You mm. revere a long lost majesty. Africa is not your trophy trip, your Facebook album, your postcard fantasy. Africa is not a zoo. It's not to be called wild upon your descent. It is not to display your proof of entrance on the wall. Africa will forget you. 
Swallow up your footprints in the rain. You are not special on a continent this large. Africa is not a love story for the middle-aged woman. Is not paperback novel or lifetime television. Africa is not and will never be yours. Wow. Africa is not a trophy trip. Mm-hmm. Was that your very first piece? Ever? Yeah. No. No. <laughs> of course not. Because <laughs> <laughs> if, if that turned out to be your no, first piece, I was like, no, 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 boom. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not. Okay. And I asked that because I was trying to know how, you know, the girl Dominique mm-hmm. trying to. Right. You know, uh, so, was that your first piece as I say to? Ooh. Okay. So I t- took the name I say to with me to Mali, mm-hmm. introduced myself as that. Okay. Um, and I came back, so so as you know, and I don't know if you've experienced this in Ni- coming from Nigeria to the States, but community in West Africa looks a lot different than this quote unquote community in the United States of America. Mm-hmm. So my experience in Mali was um, at a certain point I lived with a host family. We would wake up, go to the other, you know, walk across this like garden in this compound go say hi to the great-grandmother and the great-grandfather and, and like walk up these stairs and just say good morning. How are you doing? How's your family doing? To everybody in the in the lineage, essentially, who was alive. Mm-hmm. And then go from house to house visiting all of the friends, right? That was every day. <laughs> mm-hmm. So that sense of like... Yeah, it would be easier to put everyone in like a group chat. <laughs> 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 but not the same, right? Like yeah. the the suicides rates in cultures like that are, are non-existent. Tell me about it. Because you you don't have time to feel sorry for yourself. So, Everybody's hey, in your business. Tell me Everybody's about it. I've been, in your I've face. been living in Colorado for a month and I only knew one neighbor and we've said mm. hi like twice. That's right. it. Right. And I'm, so I'm like, I came back and spiraled into a depression. Because um, that feeling of aloneness, going from you are never alone to unless, I mean, like you kind of really are always alone unless you have a really strong like base that you can be fully yourself with. And even then, most of the time, you're still somewhat isolated. So that was really tough for me. So I spent about a year in that. I moved to Santa Fe during that time period. Um, I lived there from for Africa a year. to Santa Fe, right? <laughs> so it was good okay. though, because Santa Fe is very quiet for the most part. It's kind of it's kind of interesting because it's like this really big elderly community, and then it's like all of these teenage kids yeah, <laughs> that are just getting into very cultural. I, I I would presume a very cultural city, you know, artsy city. Artsy, but it also is so quiet, particularly because Albuquerque is so close. That's really where that's where the party happens. Party happens um, so. So and we're Santa talking Fe. about places in New Mexico, right? Right. In the right. USA. Sorry about that. Mm-hmm. Um, so Santa Fe, New Mexico, is just this really kind of just quiet, peaceful place, and so it was good for me to be there to get my bearings um coming back and then so the transition into ase too so that was end of 2014 i came back in september and then 2015 i spent two months okay 2015 i spent in santa fe new mexico and then at the top of 2016 i moved back to denver colorado and the process of me changing my name essentially so i guess it was years (laughs) The process of me changing my name essentially was I had come back a different person and mm. I, I couldn't reconcile Dominique with 
the experiences that I had had. Mm. Um, so I took the name Ase Tushango. I am the only person in the world who has that name because yeah, because I couldn't, see, I couldn't <laughs> <laughs> tell me about it. I was trying to reach out. Like, I can't find this. <laughs> well, yeah. So Ase Tu is from Mali. Shango is a Nigerian god from Ifa. Yeah. The spelling of Shango is from the Mayan, uh, Mayan spelling of the X is C-H. And um, that traveled to South America or to Latin America from um, West Africa during the slave trade. So Africans who were enslaved were praying to their deities under these, you know, kind of so santeria under these saints, um, so that they could so that they could basically shroud their religion so that it wouldn't be taken away because it was outlawed the moment that they got here. Uh so that process of reclamation for me. So Ifa is something that I practice. Shango is somebody who has walked with me a deity. Um Shango is the the deity of war and lightning and, and thunder, um, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so super powerful God, uh, he actually started visiting me in my dreams. I would have these consecutive dreams really? in which I was wearing red and black. And that's, of course, his colors along with red and white. Really? Yeah. Wearing red and black in your dreams. You're, you're lucky you don't have a Nigerian mother. That means, <laughs> that means that something mean? entirely different. Oh, yeah? What is that? <laughs> it, that means not something good. Like they'll Talk either like, take you to... Depends on what religion your mother is. Do I uh-huh. like take you to the church or like take you to your grandmother in the village right. trying to get you to stop seeing strange men Which wearing red and black is, in your dreams? Is a is a consequence of colonization, right? Mm. Like the fear of our ancient um, religious and spiritual practices mm. comes from being, you know, that being beaten out of us. You know mm. what I mean? Like there's mm. there's no coincidence that that reaction is so strong because it's survi- it's motivated by survival by survival right gotcha so that that was part of it for me of the journey of reclaiming the spirit these spiritual traditions and and ideologies because it was like well so i was raised christian and it was like okay i see the merit in christianity and also if i have the choice why wouldn't I practice something that my ancestors at least might have practiced rather than something that my oppressors definitely did? Like, yeah. just if I have the choice, mm. this this is what I'm going to choose. No shade, but like, this is me, you know? Um. So, yeah. So, wait, let me touch on this. So, okay. you talked briefly about how you were disappointed uh, in Africa to a certain extent. But later... It almost seems like the motherland had such an effect on you because you said you came back and spiraled into depression mm-hmm. and you made the conscious effort to change your name. Did you change your name officially or? No, I have not changed it legally. Okay, right. legally, sorry. No worries. Um, but you felt that need to have a connection to Africa mm-hmm. through you know, names and religion. Mm-hmm. So in a sense, is it safe to say that a few players, specifically whoever that guy was in Mali, mm made you not feel welcome but in a way the continent of africa still had a positive effect on you so it's gonna sound like i'm not answering your question but stick with me okay my favorite thing about poetry is that two juxtaposing things can live on the same paper and often do Mm. right particularly our emotions and i and i love poetry for that reason because it language something 
that we're not often allowed to language. It's often very binary what we're allowed to say, you know, like it was a good trip or it was a bad trip. Mm. But in reality, it was a deep transition and good and bad existed. And yes, I was deeply affected and there, right? Like the bad also wasn't bad because it jostled things in me, like my feelings of displacement and my feelings of loss of heritage that I really wasn't aware of. And now I can kind of consciously walk that journey and, and ask that question of myself rather than being oblivious to, to a deep pain that was already in me before I went. Wow. Why Mali? Um, so I choose my trips based off of, it's going to sound ridiculous. I meditate and they come. Well, that was your first one. That was not my first one. To Africa. Africa. Yeah. But I, I had divined the other trips the same way, except for oh. Europe. Europe was something that I was advertising my school, and that's when I got the bug. Okay. Um, New Zealand was brought to me in meditation. Guatemala. Okay, wait, wait, wait. Tell me, what's this meditation process? What? Oh. Is it like putting valid. on a PS4? What's it? <laughs> mm, the opposite no, of that? No, uh. oh, okay. uh, a PS3, maybe? <laughs> Nintendo 65. No. Um, okay. How deep do we want to go here? Hey, let's go. <laughs> okay. Let's go. So my meditation practice has definitely evolved over the years. It started, I want to say around 2011, 2012. I had a best friend who recommended that I do it. It was very simple at the time. Sit on the floor if you want to be grounded. Sit on the bed if you don't. And clear your mind and just sit, sit on quietly the floor if you want to be this grounded. was something he told me i don't know if i validate mm. it but it was definitely it definitely worked for me at the time okay. right so i would just sit on the floor and close my eyes and be quiet for as long as i could which probably was at maximum 10 minutes um and then continue through the journey discover a reiki master and reiki is a, a japanese healing form which is laying on the hand so it deals with like the aura and the chakra so she was teaching me about all of that she also gave me a book called queen or sorry sacred woman by queen ifa and or no queen of fua queen of fua sacred woman by queen of fua and that book laid out a meditation practice that was pre-dawn so you would wake up before the sunset and um, basically there were some chants, there were some prayers, you were calling forth some of the Egyptian gods and goddesses, mm. particularly goddesses, because it was a book specifically for black women mm. and how to practice Kemet, which is ancient Egyptian spirituality. And so I started practicing that. And that is when New Zealand you started came. practicing Asian Egyptian spirituality. You know, just in casually. <laughs> It's just like casually, <laughs> you know, okay. on a Tuesday. But, but do, do you have to do all that though? Do you have to wake up before dawn? I did all this chance. Can, can we just like get a nap or something? Um. So I did. Listen, <laughs> <laughs> no. So you got to be open. Like, hey, I'm just saying. I'm just I saying. had the most profound experiences. I would. Um. So I would end up waking up at five. Nowadays, I wake up more around three thirty. Um. Because that's like every the witching day? hour. Not every day. Come on. Okay. <laughs> look at my eyes roll them okay yeah, but but when i do i am so enlivened and it, it's it's there's something about that time that just feeds me but in the early stages i would wake up around five and i would go i would meditate for a while or take a spiritual bath i would do all these practices that were in the book that are in the book i recommend the book 
And then I would go back to sleep around seven. And without setting an alarm, I would wake up at nine every day. And during that two hour period, I would astral project. I would just have crazy lucid dreams. Astral project. So astral project, I, there's a lot of like loose definitions of it. It's mm. one of those things that's not, you know, agreed upon. But my experience of it, there would always be someone who was not actually there, but someone at the foot of my bed who would call my name. Sometimes it was my stepdad. Sometimes what, it was my Which deceased name? dog, Dominique. So I was Dominique at the time. Okay. Uh, this was in 2012. So they would call me by my name and I had the choice of answering or, uh, well, I would answer. <laughs> I would say yes. Like in your mind or? Well, what is, what? what? I don't know. Like I didn't, no, I didn't speak with my mouth, mm. but it also felt like I did. It's hard to explain. Mm. And then my body would go into sleep paralysis or not be able to move. And I would travel with my spirit. To? Random places. I would visit my dog. Places you recognize or? Sometimes, sometimes not. I would, I spent time with my dog who is deceased and pet, like could really like feel myself petting Was him. it in a familiar environment like in your compound growing up or it was just a different place but the same dog? It's a different place, same dog. Same dog. Yeah. So that could have been another world. It could have been. Interesting. <laughs> Are you sure it's not PS4? <laughs> I'm just, I mean, what's just the joking, difference? But, you but, know, it's all vividly imagined. Vividly so. imagined but, wow, that's deep. Mm -hmm. That's deep. And it's interesting because you touched on this a uh, couple of minutes ago, but a bunch of people would, you know, be quick to say, hey, you know, that's not the Christian way. All the, We're not supposed to astral project. <laughs> What's with all this N64 playing at 3.30 uh -huh. in the morning? You know, things like that. So People but, crack me up. Um, I am not resistant to what is. Mm. that happened so well, you and know you're clearly not afraid to talk about it i'm ha i'm not free to talk about it you're not afraid to like talk up talk about your experiences when you meditate or after you meditate or i'm definitely free to talk about it you're I not afraid to, oh afraid to talk yeah, about, to it. Talk about um, it no i'm not you know it is <laughs> has anyone ever have you ever been like ostracized or anyone like looked at you funny because of every day of my life because of those experiences because of the skin i'm in because of my height because of my makeup like it because doesn't matter really? oh yeah really oh yeah okay i'm that, not that's, even that's go on back to growing up <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah let's how, do how it. tall are you i'm that's six foot four six four mm -hmm. oh okay so fairly average height, I would say. <laughs> Where are you from? <laughs> Six foot four Wait, female. When did your growth spout? Like when did so that start? I have been this tall since eighth school? grade. I had oh, wow. three consecutive growth spurts in middle school. So sixth, seventh, and eighth grade. And I can imagine how mean kids can be at in eighth grade. Um, they were meaner in elementary school. Uh, in middle school, I was actually quite popular, if you want to use that word, in sixth grade. And then, like, halfway through seventh grade, I had, like, a super dramatic falling out with my friends. And then I kind of isolated myself, which had more to do with my coping mechanisms than it did with really what was happening externally. Was it um, at that point of isolating yourself in seventh grade that you discovered 
Oh, you started dabbling into poetry? No? So I dabbled into poetry in eighth grade. So yeah, eighth it wasn't grade. far behind. Um, okay. And that was actually through the school. So we were taught poetry. Mm. Um, we were asked to write a, by Mrs. Johnson. Shout out to Miss Johnson. Um, so we were um, told to write a poem about like which animal we represented. And of course, like we're eighth graders. So they're expecting lion. I'm a snake, whatever. Mm-hmm. I chose... Um, a star elephant, I think. A what? There, okay, so listen. There was this story <laughs> that we read in eighth grade that was about like a star elephant. It was like a mix between like a starfish and an elephant or like, something an random elephant like that this. was a celebrity? Like a no, 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 no. Like a starfish that had elephant features. Wow. And so this whole story was about how ostracized this this like animal felt. So I chose the animal to like represent how isolated and ostracized I felt. Wow. And literally my class like just stared at me. <laughs> did you communicate? Did your teacher get it? Did he or she know? I think she got it. I remember the poem being amazing, but that's just my personal memory. You know what what, what, what did she do about it? Because obviously you were trying to communicate in a way about what you feel, what you felt at that point. Well, I'm, I'm sure that most middle schoolers feel that way. It's not, you know, in, in the States, it's just not super... Um, uncommon that Mm. we feel that way especially in such a transitional time Mm. um i don't think she was worried about me she knew she knew what was on the horizon for me so just makes you stronger you know what i mean wow (laughs) what's your thought process in writing a poem let me let me know if it's different from the meditation process on your morning Mm. morning routine is how how quick is it to come up with a poem? Even though sometimes you have inspiration when you wake up in the middle of the night, mm-hmm. it, does it come out fully formed or it's mm. kind of like a comedic sketch where you have to like piece it up mm-hmm, over time mm-hmm. or the inspiration is just there? What What's that like? All great questions and all accurate. Um, so it kind of depends on the poem. So I have what I call page poems that are really like what is Af- what Africa is not. I consider that a page poem. For what reason? I don't know. Page poem. But those come out. So that one, of course, was like middle of the night. Throw it down. I edited it since. And um, but that one. But the, the differentiation is that my performance poetry, like the name poem, those usually come to me in, yeah, kind of that like comedic sketch like i just start saying the first line and then the next line comes and then i'm saying the first two lines and then the next line comes and it builds that way and then it gets to a certain point where i'm ready to write all of those downs and then and then write from there um i don't often do like commission poetry but that's obviously a different process What's commission like sponsored poetry so when someone pays me to write a particular poem yeah, about like a subject like commission, yeah yeah so um i'm gonna write a poem about coca-cola just like the dola. <laughs> I'm just joking. <laughs> so those pieces, um, I, I write in the way that I teach, which is free write. So we know that we have two sides of the brain, the left and the right side. Correct. The left being the logical side and the right side being the creative side. And a lot of people run into this issue when they're trying to create is they have the left brain telling them, that doesn't make sense. Don't write that. Don't do that. You know. And so I practice and teach my students to practice um 
letting the right brain just get something on the paper, telling the left brain, like, chill out for a second. I'll how, use how you, you in that? editing. I think I'm interested in learning that because I have just, I think I have just the right side of the brain. So you, you're just the right side of the brain? I, mostly right. That's great. But, sorry, mostly left. Oh, I'm mostly sorry. left. Logical. So yeah. then, so I, I, I say, you know, here's a prompt or just write whatever is on your mind. And then gently, if you hear something say like, oh, don't write that, you just say, hey, get like, We'll get back to you in the editing process. Right now, I'm just getting whatever's on the paper and you just give yourself permission. You practice that enough and it's a muscle. You, It's easier to use. It's easier to use. I can see how that's easy for kids. Mm -hmm. For someone like me who's like fully grown, mm -hmm. I've grown up in a world that tells me what's right, True. how to think for the most part. True. And what not to say mm -hmm. especially when said at someone or to someone mm. so you find yourself even when you're alone mm -hmm. not being fully expressive yeah so, and i think that's that's easier to do when you're just in your head right you're a, you're able to cut yourself off a little bit easier but if i tell you no so you have to write for 10 minutes do not pick mm. your pencil up off that paper write whatever comes to mind and hey it's yours if you don't want to read it, you don't have to read it. Mm. Then the more you push through, eventually the pencil just takes takes it away. Takes it away. And then you find that you're in that right side of your brain. Because despite the fact that we are we're taught out of it, it's always there. It's always available to us. It's just a matter of deciding and giving yourself permission to use it. Oh. That makes sense. <laughs> that makes sense. That's actually really good advice, actually. So, okay, so some poems, it depends, you know, if it comes to you, it comes to you. Mm -hmm. uh, if it's a feeling, it comes as a feeling. You seem like someone who's really in touch with her feelings, mm -hmm. if I can say that correctly. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. You're in touch with your feelings or you avoid your feelings? Which one? Oh, is no, it? I'm definitely in touch. In touch with your feelings. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Avoiding is painful. Avoiding is painful. Uh, sometimes it's easier. I don't know what to it say. It actually is going to catch up with you. I hate, I hate to be the Preach. bearer. Like, yeah. I, I, I know that for a fact. <laughs> I know that for a fact that eventually it does catch up with you. Mm -hmm. But in the meantime, you need your mental state to of do course, your right. routine daily tasks. So Absolutely. you just try to do it, try to do it, try to do it. Eventually, a year from now, you have a breakdown or screaming, <laughs> Jane, why did you have to leave me? <laughs> wow, this got personal, real quick. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm just joking. I'm just <laughs> but yeah, I, I can see that. But there's something I want to ask you about. Can you remember the first time I met you, the first place I met you mm -hmm. at the Colorado Taste of Africa? Right. At the time, I had just been... I, so I moved from D.C. to Denver, to Colorado, and at the time of that event, I had just been in town for like, what, four days? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I was like, brand new, brand new. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, someone in my office was like, hey, you know, this will be a, this a community event, you know, just come through since you don't know anyone, you get to meet people. I'm like, okay, you know, let me go, you know, cool. And I, and I saw this young lady like delivering this raw, and I was in the crowd, right? And I was filming mm -hmm. and I was looking left and right as I was filming and people were just like captivated. Oh by the way you communicate it's almost like you say things that make us feel it's, it's almost like we're not listening to the words mm -hmm. we're just opening ourselves up to feeling absolutely whatever it is. has it always been that way oh no <laughs> no that that is um that's some that's a skill right that's mm. a skill that's come from doing this work for about 11 years now 
Mm. So I get I get the pride of like seeing how far I've come and being able to to create a performance that yes gets directly to the feeling and and break down those barriers of left brain and thinking is this a good poem what is the you know where are the stanza breaks and is it integral and what's the like I don't teach that way I don't work that way you know I really pride myself on being as authentic as possible because I think that's the direct gateway to everybody else's authenticity and I really want to relate to people on that level right I don't want the pretense I don't want the small talk I don't really care what you do for a living I want to know your soul what are you passionate about you know like what what like keeps you up at night what are you wrestling with you know, that's one thing I really appreciated moving from the East Coast mm. uh, to Denver. You know, it took me almost a week to see someone wearing a suit, mm. to be honest. Like, yeah. like and I was looking for, I had all these suits. I was like, man, where, where can I freaking wear a suit to? <laughs> like, <laughs> and that's the whole thing in D.C. Like, you discuss with someone, hey, hi, my name is Nosa. So what do you do? Mm-hmm. It's a town full of consultants. Mm-hmm. It's a town full of government people, you know, a town full of technology people. So it's... And, you know, just coming here, people being in touch with community, I, I, I had mm. never seen it. That's beautiful. I had never seen it. And to be honest, like, my portrayal of the U.S. would have been, like, mostly D.C. Mm-hmm. So everyone yeah. was like, oh, you, you live in the U.S.? Oh, yeah, D.C. I have a brother who lived in Chicago, but I've never stayed there at extended periods of time. It's like a week, mm-hmm. a week and a half, and I'm gone. Yeah. I lived in D.C. Now I'm living in Colorado. I'm just seeing the contrast. Yeah. It just goes to show that no set of people or no country is a monolith in mm. a way. Like there are always different shades, even within the same state. Absolutely. There are always different shades. And you know, w- when people talk to you about, oh, the US is like this and the US is like that. When I went to DC, you know, all the people I talked to live in the US, oh, I have not experienced this. Like, this yeah. is something totally different. Did you also get that sense in your many trips, like to Costa Rica Absolutely. or Mali or to Europe? Maybe you had a certain perception or something like that and the experience was just something totally different two questions did you have that feeling and Mm -hmm. what was the most contrast you experienced from your preconceived notion what country was it and what was it well you might be able to tell i'm not one to take things at face value right like i really like to challenge things (laughs) even from dominique days yes especially dominique days okay um so i Yeah, I don't think that I had very general ideas when traveling. I was really, I didn't even really like to do a ton of research. I really liked to to land, get my feet on the ground and explore and experience. After you went through your process of choosing where you wanted to go. Right. Well, I mean, it wasn't much of a process. It was just like, go to New Zealand. And I was like, oh. Oh, I thought you had like a whole meditation process. Oh, no, it's not like I conjured or anything. It's just like, wow, meditation. They scream at me. Oh, okay. Um, (laughs) So... Yeah, so I, I kind of always just kind of flew by the seat of my pants. But yeah, definitely no no country, no place is a monolith. And um, experiencing different perspectives, different landscapes, different homes. And, and also, it's very interesting to me to see the ways in which those places are at war with each other in the sense, mm. right? Like to even in the United States, having these different regional values mm. and, and seeing the ways in which they clash in our political system, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. I also experienced that in Mali. I experienced that in Guatemala. I got to see the way that the indigenous women were pushed out of the city 
and you know they don't speak Spanish they speak Mayan language so I worked with a I did a documentary on a um on an organization that worked with those indigenous women and this is taught in them Spanish yeah mm -hmm. and so this was a homegrown organization by um, indigenous women who you know taught Spanish in the highlands which is where the indigenous women are pushed out to gave them um tools to start business made made them stoves instead of them cooking on the open fire which causes all sorts of d diseases and asthma and death and and has been working with them over generations right so i got to see what it means to be in the city in this kind of like business oriented globalization versus what it means to be in the homeland of that country so yeah they're it's always so rich and there's never i mean i could never learn any country any region any city honestly you know what i mean there's no amount of time that i could spend there that i could be like oh yeah i, I could tell you all about bamako like no. shit i'm nigerian <laughs> i can't even tell you everything about nigeria <laughs> right, right, right. well was that your most profound experience in guatemala oh, you had Which deeper one? experience like just working with the women in in the hills that like I had this connection with the co-founder of that organization. She mm. was speaking Spanish the whole time. I do not speak Spanish. But was, for some Yeah, for some reason we would lock eyes and I could understand everything that she was saying. I swear to God. Get out of here. I swear <laughs> to God. Like Get I don't know how it happened. Look, look, I say to you, look, I know this is a podcast. <laughs> I don't know how it happened, but we just and we had like the whole time. We're just okay, like, wait, okay, oh, wait, hey, wait, okay. Hey, let me let me break you. this down. This is just basic stuff like hey come here or something like is it no. full full oh, length conversation no sir she is talking about the organization she's talking about the history of guatemala what? she is talking about the need for this organization i do in not understand and i'm well, looking wait, what, at her what, what in the eyes of, and i'm like what part of colorado it. did you grow up i'll meet down where quebec <laughs> quebec and where I want to know what neighborhood you might be have been a mexican neighborhood dude <laughs> nothing i knew nothing and I would look at her and be like, wow. And then the cosmic astro astrological signs of Mayan got it. Like, and not, I mean, like, not like detailed, mm. but knew what she was saying. It's like you were saying with the poetry, you're not listening to the words. Something is occurring and you feel me. We're, we're past the level of the brain at that point. Mm. That's what was happening. Wow. Let's talk a little bit about religion. Yeah. Oh, wait, before we go into religion. So when I first met you mm -hmm. at... Taste of Africa? Taste of Africa in Colorado. You didn't have any shoes on. Mm. I was like, okay, this is a picnic-like event, you know. <laughs> this is all outside. cool. Everyone was free. It was cool. <laughs> but then I was doing research <laughs> and listening to Eve. Uh-huh. And, and a I bunch of other works. You didn't I, have shoes on. I was at the Buell Theater in front of 3,000 people with no shoes on. And right <laughs> now, you don't have any shoes on. I do not have shoes on. Okay. So, and you talked about when you were learning to meditate, like being connected by sitting mm -hmm. on the floor as opposed to sitting on the bed. Mm -hmm. Is there a connection there? there? There has to be a reason for that, right? No, there doesn't. I don't wear shoes because I don't like wearing shoes. Okay. Um, a lot of people come up with reasons for that. One of them being connection to the earth. It's totally valid. I don't see why not. But I don't like. Here's the thing. Okay. Wait, wait, wait. You don't just have, you don't just like shoes. That's it. I don't like shoes, dude. We have. 
We have to come up with a reason, man. But why? But no, so let me challenge that, right? Because the idea is that there's these default settings. So the default setting is you wear shoes, mm -hmm. you are monogamous, you're Christianity, right? Mm -hmm. If we're talking about, especially in the context of the United States, there's a laundry list of things that mm -hmm. are default, that That's are normal. That's what you're supposed to do. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, but... You just don't like why? it. Why? Like... I don't feel like it, so I don't. Oh, come on. I feel too. Look, it'll <laughs> but, have more depth if, if you explain to me could, like there's this connection to the earth. But it doesn't need to because the reality is what that does is it gives permission to pe for people to be who they are without having to explain it, without so having to come up with like, oh, I did, I read this scientific study that says, blah, who cares? I don't feel like it, so I don't. Wow. What would happen if we lived that authentically? Wow. You know the winter is coming, right? Yeah, I got shoes. Just in case. Wow. <laughs> I've lived in Colorado my that, whole that, life. That threw me for a curve. <laughs> you know, I, I was expecting, I had full of questions like, look, but but if you say there's no connection, then how do you my goodness? <laughs> wait, wait, so let me let me let me break this down. You okay. don't wear shoes at all. I mean, occasionally. Like whatever I feel, you know. How do you do? You like carry your shoes on your person in case you need to wear them, or you have like shoes at the house. Have, I have usually have shoes the, in the car. In the car, okay. But I I found that I've gotten away with it more and more. Cause if you walk confidently, nobody notices. I mean, everybody notices that I'm not wearing shoes, but like, she's clearly supposed to be here. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? That's what goes through their mind, and they just wow. don't bother. Being unafraid. Yeah. I'm learning a lot of things from you. Man. <laughs> I'm learning. I'm learning a couple of things from you. This is me, former banker, still in the finance sector. Woo, all tons of suits, gathering dust in my closet, uh -huh. <laughs> kind of guy. Cut off my fro, mm. guy. You know. Wow, inspiring stuff. Thank you. Inspiring stuff. Okay, talk about religion. Okay, uh, what do you want to know? You don't practice a certain religion. You seem like someone who draws <laughs> more fluid than inspiration. That. Yeah, so I practice Ifa. I, I will say that I'm I'm pretty committed to practicing Ifa. I'm getting my leke's uh, next is month. Ifa religion is just a god. Ifa is a spirituality. It's a spirituality. Yeah, and okay. many, that's from the Yoruba religion. Many, yes, there are mm -hmm. many uh, deities. So I do practice that. Um, I have practiced Kemet. What? Kemet? So that's the, Kemet is the ancient Egyptian spiritual practice I was telling okay, you about. Okay, from Egypt, okay. Mm -hmm. So, um, and then, but I, I really do, you're right, I do what resonates. Um, yeah, if I if I hear something and it feels right, I'll try it on. Is that a problem for some of the practices? Like some practices, especially traditional practices, especially where I come from, mm -hmm. forbid you mm -hmm. from... Bringing someone else into a picture. Absolutely. And I don't, um, I honor that, right? Like I'm going to honor the elders in whatever spiritual practice that I'm stepping into. And if I'm not welcome, then I'm I'm not there. Peace. Yeah, no problem. Um, and then, and I try my best to honor whatever tradition I am, you know, taking this from. So if I, if I have a Taoist belief, I'm going to say this is Taoism. But also, so many of these things are universal to a point where it's like, 
I could say that it's Taoism, but it's also Buddhism and Zeninism. Because you've you experienced know. a number of them. Yeah, so you can they tell. all, they, I mean, I don't want to say they all, but everything that I've experienced, I can kind of boil it down to some some core similarities. Are you searching for something specific with these different religions? No. No? I'm just exploring, experiencing. And you grew up Christian, right? I did. Is your mom still Christian? Yes. What was that first conversation like? That <laughs> hey, maybe you went to visit your mom and she just woke up in the middle of the night no, I was and still saw you petting her. your dead dog kind of thing? <laughs> no. <laughs> like, what are you well, doing? Well, that doesn't happen. That's only, you know, my body doesn't move, so it's fine. Oh, no, yeah. my mom, oh, our relationship is um is challenging. Of course, we're very, very close because she was my she was my god growing up, honestly. Like, like God was her God and she was my God, really. So, um, you know, as I come into myself and discover these things that seem divergent from her belief systems, there it's always difficult, and particularly Christianity, because that was the first one that I started questioning. Like, oh, I didn't raise. Did she ever feel a sense? Yeah, she said that I didn't raise you this way. Mm. There, we. I think we stopped talking for a little bit because of religion because or something I did else. Not, I told her I did not believe in Jesus. Okay, yeah. And that was the, If I say that to my mom, I'll be like, <laughs> yeah. you know what? There's a time, I'm sorry to cut you short. No. There was a time my mom was all up in my, you know, behind. And that's how PC I am. I kind of am cursed. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, about, you know, going to church. And my mom attends a church called MFM, Mountain mm -hmm. of Fire and Miracles. Those Nigerians listening to this, you know that. Like, even if she hears this interview, she might be upset. Uh-huh. At me talking to you. So there was a day I was like, huh, let me test how spiritual this woman is. So I was like, you know what, mom? I'm going to be a priest. I don't want to have kids. I'm just going to serve God. She was like, no, I want grandkids. I'm like, wait, you've been pushing me to be closer to God. I want to go to the seminary and be a priest. She was like, yeah, you can be a pastor and still have kids. Don't be a priest. I'm like, wait, but is this what you want? You've been wanting me to be close. What's the closest than being a priest? And she's like, no. So I'm like, why exactly are you doing this? Mm -hmm. And I'm still Christian mm -hmm. to this day. But it's taken me a conscious effort to unlearn mm -hmm. a lot of things I, un I learned through religion mm -hmm. and try to learn the ways of Christianity because they are two different things. Mm -hmm. Christianity mm -hmm. is almost being treated like a religion and not as a way of life. It's mm -hmm. like you go to church and between 9 a.m. and 12 when you're in church, mm -hmm. you're a Christian, but immediately you pull off the church parking yeah. lot you're a heathen <laughs> you're back to be an american yeah 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 <laughs> kind of thing so i appreciate that yeah it's uh you had issues with your mom because of this and i can see why mm -hmm. growing up how did your mom practice christianity like did you get into trouble if you were late for church did she make sure that you said your prayers before every meal? Was I she definitely really... couldn't be late to church? Like she would. Oh, okay. I mean, I lived in the house. Was, was she in any of the church departments? Choir? She was in choir. Okay. Okay. Um, so we did. Did you go to practice pray. with her? I did sometimes. So okay. I was in. I I can't remember when we transitioned out of church. Maybe eleven or twelve. Uh, but yeah, my earliest memories were pretty much all in church, and um. Yeah, religious. We she read the Bible every morning and had me read Psalms ninety one every morning. Mm, poetry. Uh, yeah, it is. <laughs> Psalms, especially Psalms and Proverbs, are oh, gorgeous. You know, one part of the Bible I, I ever I always thought 
people why didn't people read this more in public is the book of solomon man mm. yeah. why is that a oh, bunch of runchy stuff there so <laughs> 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 but i'm just saying but anyway as you were saying yeah so that that was the practice it was it was every day and it was pretty consistent um we stopped she discovered um miles monroe Mm, I can't remember what his he had a philosophy that kind of took her away from the church it was like something citizen like God citizen or something like that and it was a different practice than going to the church and being a part of that community and she started to feel like the church wasn't preaching what she believed anymore so that's when we moved away from going to church you know what and speaking to that point there was also a time I kind of like felt that way. Mm. It's like, and that's why I asked you that question about what were you looking for in all these religions? Because mm, mm-hmm. I, I was almost like looking for something and it'll be cool for like two weeks. I'll go to a new church and the first two weeks will be fire. I'll be like, oh, this is, this is it. But like in six months, I'll be back to, you know. Mm-hmm. It's almost like working for a place and depending on that place to build your career or to deposit professionalism into you like you have to do the reaching in Mm -hmm. a sense the best they can do is like to provide an environment for you to be able to do that and guide you but you have to do the reaching and building a relationship with um jesus in a way at least that's what i believe Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um but going back to your point so your mom changed the way she practiced christianity in a sense and how old were you can't remember exactly but i'm thinking early double digits so pre-teenage okay so yeah. pre-teenage mm-hmm. but it went all through your teenagers and things you were a christian you were a christian yeah so i um went to to university of denver when i was 18 okay after high school and i was reading scripture every morning and eventually that practice Without my mom being there, right? Mm-hmm. It just, faded away. Well, not faded. It, it's just started feeling not me, right? Like I started losing that external reason for doing it. And once that was gone, it was like, well, why am I doing this? And then I had to question that for myself. And that led me on a journey, <laughs> on a very long journey. Do you know what an African parents would say? Hmm. This girl, I sent you to school mm-hmm. and you went to school and you came back and all of a sudden you're not Christian. What did mm-hmm. I do? Oh God, what did I, I know. do? <laughs> no, yeah, my mom has her own version of that for sure. What's your relationship like now with your mom? Oh, I just came from her house. Um <laughs> we're 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 pretty close and I you have to understand, I feel that my perspective is a gift to my mom because it does challenge some of her beliefs. And I think that challenging your beliefs anytime is always going to be beneficial because either you grow a stronger bond with that or you discover something else. Either way, win-win, you know? That's so, it's so interesting you say that and you can't blame them sometimes. They came up in a certain era. Mm -hmm. Like, and I've had this conversation with her sometimes, like my mom, like just the way she grew up and, you know, the perception of doctors and lawyers and things like that and what you're supposed to do. She never pushed me to study a specific things, a, a specific thing. But sometimes when she's trying to, it got to a point where I just knew that if I need career advice, maybe my mom is not the best person to go to. Mm-hmm. You know, she means well. Right. But she's just operating out of what she knows. Yeah. I have to give it to my mom, though. She did say follow your passion a lot when I grew up. 
And she did not realize where that would lead me. But it is because of her encouragement that I was even able to tap into that and say, well, what am I passionate about? And follow nice. that. Yeah. Does she allow you to go barefoot in the house? Of course. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to mom. Uh, yeah. She's the best. Oh, cool. What's your favorite experience uh, in Santa Fe? So the Santa Fe, my perception of Santa Fe is that it's just this artsy, kind of like a bigger Adams Morgan, which is like a neighborhood in D.C. Mm. It's like where all the artists are and where all the poets are. Um, where... Ish. Like it's 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 art that. So I, there's a lot of like Native American art, which is gorgeous. Mm. I feel like most of Santa Fe art scene is very. I want to use the word mainstream, which is like, what does that even mean? But it doesn't, really? it doesn't feel like the art that I like is rebellious, right? It's like, you know, questioning authority. The art scene in, in like Santa Fe. Like New York graffiti kind of art? Yeah, totally into that lifestyle. Okay. The art scene in Santa Fe that, is That seems very... far removed from the spirituality aspect, but. Not at all. Really? Oh, they're one and the same. Really? Absolutely. I look at that more like urban trying to fit in. And you think that graffiti art is trying to fit in? <sighs> graffiti art is, is is so much similar to hip hop and like questioning authority and and pushing back against correct, correct. the conditions. But right? compared to spirituality, like the type of spirituality you explain mm -hmm. and the comment and things like that, mm -hmm. it's kind of like removing yourself from or being comfortable and being yourself. Let me put it that way. Which I feel is graffiti is much the same. Uh, it's the self-expression that is meant to be. It's almost like graffiti is almost like, hey, notice me kind of thing, right? Or I'm just interpreting maybe. it Maybe. I mean, way. it definitely depends on the artist, right? Mm -hmm. But I think as an art form, it is, it's rebellious in the sense that the notice me, if anything, is to say, like, fuck the system you know what i mean like this isn't working for anybody and yeah. we're tired of yeah. it definitely anti-establishment you know. yeah. right yeah. and i think there's something it's it's back to that self-expression and voice that i'm so yeah. you know that i empower my students with within the dps and you know aurora public schools and denver public school Love system school. Gotcha. i'm in there you know saying like Say how you feel. Uh, you're not encouraging them to graffiti on the wall, are you? <laughs> I mean, uh, I like, mean, don't incriminate yourself. On the situation. But, you know, yeah, like don't uh -huh. don't get Allegedly. caught. I guess. Like, <laughs> <laughs> no, but I am. I Wanna am raise encouraging a them. There. Right, I am encouraging them to to learn how to express themselves and and vocalize themselves and represent themselves too. Right, so it's like graffiti is really really strong and also you're going to know how to step into a boardroom and advocate for yourself as well. You mm. know what I mean? Like mm. you're going to get both of those languages. You see, that's what I love. Hmm. I, I was talking to um, Felipe, uh, who's, um, he's originally Colombian. He grew up in Florida, I think. And he spent a lot of time with the Navajo Nation, mm -hmm. Native American. And we're just talking about how to like, Take the good sides of like capitalism, but mm. also take the good sides of like arts mm -hmm. and like take the good sides of activism and just like making this whole mesh. Mm -hmm. You know, some people, like you said, is is black or white. There's no gray area with most people. It's like yes or no. Was the trip good? Yes. Was it not good? No. Mm -hmm. But most people don't know how to and that's why I like interacting with different people because no matter how different we are, 
But I can always find a way to draw inspiration from what exactly it is you do. Mm-hmm. And that's why this podcast has been so fulfilling mm. to me. Um, how easy is it for you to draw inspiration from ordinary, air quote, ordinary everyday people who are not on the level you are? Do you find yourself looking at people like, hey, they don't know what I know, or even in their ordinary closed third eye (laughs) mindset, (laughs) you still find a way to like (laughs) draw inspiration from them. (laughs) I I tend to attract what I am. Mm. Mm. And I... um, and I can easily weed people out. The name is, uh, you know, seeing who leans in and learns how to pronounce my name versus who shrugs it off. That's Such. kind of a good, <laughs> kind of an easy way to, like, let people fall away. Uh, again, I really? don't. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It lets me know a lot about a person when they respond to my name. Um, how, how, how long do they have, though? Do they have, like, a week? Oh, no. They have seconds. Really? Microseconds. Come on. <laughs> I don't have time for it. <laughs> like, oh my goodness. <laughs> I but you have to understand I'm a performer, so I'm meeting, you yeah, know, people. What I if it's a guy what if it's a guy that, that likes you or something but like you just like cut him off just because he can't say that's a completely I mean, yes, but that's like a completely oh different um it's not about whether or not they can. It's mm. whether or not they try. They they whether or not they care to whether try. Whether or not they care. Yeah, mm. exactly. And it's also energetic. It's not like pe- two people could say the exact same thing and I might feel very open with one and very close to another. To other. And it really is about that intention that lies beneath. Mm. So that and then also I don't do the like, you know, um, what do you do? And Small like talk. the, the well, well, it's fine to do like how what do you do and like learn about try to learn about a person through that way. But there's like you were saying about like people in D.C., there's the. There's a credibility check, and I'm not here for it. I don't, I'm not going to spout my resume. I don't need to announce to you that I'm worthy of this space. I'm here. And if you're willing to connect with me on that human level, then we can. If you're trying to do some ego shit because you're stuck in it, that's yours, and I'm going to let you have it. God damn it. (laughs) (laughs) Are you at least (laughs) waiting? God damn it. Do you at least like make them aware of the situation that hey, in a nice way, this is why I don't fuck with you? Hey, I curse. No. No, of course not. That's their business. They get to show up in the world exactly how they want to. If that's if that's the path they're on, that's theirs. I'm not here to say so mine's op- better or worse. Like mm. this is what feels best to so me. So you're operating live that. strictly for you. You're not trying mm-hmm. to build a following. You're not trying to start a religion. You just want a better essay yeah. too. Yeah, that's always been the thing. And like, wow. and I, of course, I speak very passionately. And I, that's pretty much always been me. It definitely came out more when I discovered poetry. But um, that's always been my thing. It's like I'm not here to tell anybody what to do. I just mm. this this is me. This is my philosophy. If it resonates, dope. If it doesn't, throw mm. it out. And let's all just move in the most authentic way that feels best to us. Wow. That's very admirable. Thanks. An interesting take. Okay, let's get back to poetry. We've been talking about poetry for yeah, an hour, but kind let's of get dabbled back, in it. <laughs> back to poetry. Poetry has seen you go places, meet people, 
do a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. I was doing some research for this episode, and I stumbled on your the competition you entered into in 2010, mm-hmm. Brave Voices. Brave New Voices. And that was uh, like a HBO program. It was. Well, HBO filmed it. Oh, H- HBO distributed it. Yes. Basically. Right. But Brave but, New Voices Youth Speaks was, uh, a, or I don't know if they still are, but an organization that uh, created a competition called Brave New Voices that was for, is for 12-year-old to 18-year-olds or 19 year olds doing slam poetry so it was international competition yeah pretty Um, big yeah it was really big and then hbo decided they wanted to do a documentary on it a couple of years in a row and then kind of left so you know so really not theirs but they gave us a platform for a minute and it was huge i met rosario dawson um i met how's our energy oh she's the greatest she's so sweet and she was so genuinely excited to be there with us which felt amazing is there a celebrity you've met that whose energy was like eh? oh i'm not gonna throw shade why not <laughs> why not <laughs> um, <laughs> why not so like okay i'm just i'm hey, gonna be all about authenticity so huh? yeah i am let's keep it real so rosario dawson was the co-host Mm-hmm. Um, common was the main host. So common was common. Common was common. Common has common energy. Um, <laughs> common was a little common. Like he wow. was not okay. I'll just say them side by side. It was what what bothered me is that Rosario Dawson was co-host and he was the main host and he was not as invested in us or the competition as she oh, was. Gotcha. He was great. He was a great host, well, but, but it felt a little sexist. I'm gonna be honest. Fools <laughs> of thought might say because he has more things on his plate than Rosario. I don't know. And so what? Some, some people might right? say, right? Like I don't. He's a big star. I don't know, bigger star. And I'm, I don't care. Rosario. Like it felt That's sexist, and she was better. She was better on wait, stage. Wait. He felt. No, he didn't choose that. I mean, I don't think he chose that. I think that that choice was sexist. Hmm. Interesting. And she was better. But that's, I would imagine, because Common came up with poetry and hip hop mm-hmm. in its truest True. form. True. Like, uh, he... was his album Water for Chocolate or something? Sure. Oh, it's like Water for Chocolate. That, that album was something else. He's never done it for me, I'm going to be honest. <laughs> He's just never how, wait, how long did me. you get to interact with him throughout the whole competition? Um, So he could have interacted with us for longer, but it was mm. brief. Rosario hung out for a little bit longer. It was right before the um, mm. finals. So it, they only taped the finals. And yeah. So is it, it, right is it also we possible because in a way, I, I like to be a little bit sympathetic <laughs> to people like this because I also, in a way, some people have... Um, I'm actually trying to start an association called Men with Pride because mm. I'm like, hey, you know, some people say, hey, you know, you're proud. It's a Nigerian thing. Mm-hmm. Um, if you don't interact with people the way that they expect you to, mm-hmm. then you're proud, especially if you've lived abroad. Oh, he's gone to America. Now he's proud. Right. You know, that kind of thing. So I'm like, what if it's just the way I'm wired to Dude. be? I have quiet to be shy to be reserved what if i have no experiences right but in terms people. of how i experienced that moment mm-hmm. i felt that rosaria was investing in us and investing time and investing attention mm-hmm. and common wasn't was what it? his reasons were i have no idea. no idea you know no judgment on him mm-hmm. but in terms of how i experienced that moment yeah wow. and on stage rosaria shined all these years later as you used to remember it just goes to show that hey man 
try to you know first impressions create a right? memorable experience you know with whoever you interact with to the True. best of your ability of course True. but yeah memory pride association coming soon <laughs> <laughs> but yeah no like i have nothing against the man whatsoever yeah 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 and in that so the way the competition is structured if i understand is being represent different cities compete with each other mm-hmm. and you went there representing denver mm-hmm with uh, minority disturbance, minor disturbance, and that—that's an interesting name. Minority um, so disturb- minor disturbance. Oh, minor. I'm minor sorry. Disturbance. Okay, it's yeah. not minority. So okay, it's gotcha. like play on words because okay, we're minor. minors oh, and okay. we're like making a disturbance. That's kind of the idea. <laughs> we're disturbing Denver. <laughs> well, disturbing the world. You disturbing know? London. Disturbing Denver. Right, right, right. Okay. I, I'm just saying that disturbing London is like a music manager oh, okay, label gotcha, based gotcha, in gotcha. London, but sweet. Interesting. Yeah. And that show was produced by Russell Wilson, I guess? Russell Simmons. Why am I missing? <laughs> look, look, guys, see, it's like, what time is it? It's like almost 7 p.m. <laughs> I've been working all day. I've been using the left side of my brain. Yeah. A lot, so. <laughs> Russell Simmons, mm-hmm. who is like a known hip-hop. I mean, Def Comedy Jam, yeah. Def Jam, yeah. Rush Management. Yeah. Dude has been all over the place. Did you Everywhere. get to meet him at all? I don't think so, no. We met a lot of celebrities that weekend, so I but no, I don't think we met Russell. Where did you guys shoot? Um, it was in LA. Oh, mm-hmm. okay. Yeah. Tinseltown. Tinseltown? Isn't that what they call it? I don't know, Hollywood? I've LA? never heard that, know. but sure. Tinseltown? I don't what? pay much attention. <laughs> wow. Interesting. But it would have been, you know, is he, is there someone you've always wanted to meet? Mm, someone I mean, deceased. Well known. Audrey Lord. Who? Audrey Lord is a. She was a poet in the sixties. She was a poet activist, mm. lesbian mother in warrior the 60s. in the sixties. Interesting. And she, um, just her poetry and her life. She really, she walked what she preached. You know, Audrey she really Lord. Was. Audrey Lord. Mm. She really was, you know, she was authentic. Let me ask you a question. Feel free not to answer. Okay. Audrey Lord, mm-hmm. sexuality. Mm-hmm. And you touched on monogamous, whatever, what we're talking about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Early in the episode. Mm-hmm. How do I even frame this question? So mm. what's my sexual orientation? No, not that. What's not, my lifestyle? <laughs> no, 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 no. That that's not that's not for me to. I mean, I don't care. Like here, that's not. But I just <laughs> want to know the relationship mm-hmm. between your spirituality and sexuality. That's what I want to know. Because oh. you, I find that in a way, um, people. That's the major one. Major thing that don't mix like religion and sexuality. You are told what to do, how to do it, who to do it with. Not in the religions I practice I, in the way that I practice. Now, that. that's what I want to find out. Yeah. Now, you draw inspiration from many different religions, uh-huh. but even singling out some of those religions, sure. like, does that affect that aspect of your life in any way? It enhances it. Um, really? Yeah, so my spiritual belief... So even, okay, so in Ifa, there is a deity that is, so even if we're talking about gender, in Ifa, there's a deity who is both male and female. Um, and there. True, I heard about that. And then in terms of my spiritual ideology, it favors 
So it's non-dualistic, essentially, meaning that everything is one. So it favors fluidity. It favors nuance and complexity. Um, it favors, yeah, just being, I am everything. So what I choose to prefer, step into, express is, is like, there's no separation. Um, so yeah, I, I, I think that my spiritual practices and my spiritual beliefs very much make it almost impossible for me to understand this very binary, Mm. uh, monolithic view of things. Because you have to understand, I don't practice any monotheistic religions. Like, I appreciate them, but I Mm. don't truly practice any of them. Mm. And so that that changes things very quickly if you're you're going before that age of monotheism, Christianity, um, Judaism, etc. But for me... I have this relationship where it's like, how could it be any other way? Like it's panentheistic. So meaning that um, these spiritual practices largely are based on the idea that everything is God and that everything is one. So for me to dabble and explore is completely within the confines of, of whatever I believe, if that makes sense. Wow. No, it's interesting the things you can learn from someone from with that has totally different experiences as you do if you just like open up your mind. Mm-hmm. The way humans are structured is kind of like like someone was asking me why do I live on the side of town I live in? I'm like, where mm. do you want me to live? I'm like, where do you Where I'm do like, you live? I don't even know if I should say it on air. Go for it. Well, I live in Glendale. Oh, uh, me too. What's up? Oh, really? Hey, yeah. there we go. I love it. <laughs> And, you know, I was like, what, what, what's the deal? Like, yeah. I'm drawn towards experiencing things. Like, what's the use growing up in a place, schooling in that place, working in that place, getting married in that place, dying in that place, not even venturing out, not even seeing how things are done in other places. Absolutely. Like, there's a lot to draw from. So even though we have, uh, I practice like a different religion, I'm from a different from a different country, have a different orientation or whatever. Like, I've learned tons of things from mm-hmm. you. And I will want to continue learning things from you in the future. And I see that just thinking differently can make me start to have a reflection on the way I do things mm-hmm. and how I can make some aspects of my life better. Mm-hmm. And if only, like, people in the world can be open to that. Maybe we might not even have this hatred of because when you have generation after generation after generation being together and being together, you almost start to look at the people at, on the other side as kind of like that's them. Mm-hmm. So it's like them versus us. Right. And something. I'm guessing when you say that people are questioning where you live, that these are Africans and black people. Is yeah, that fair. Pretty much. Yeah. And I think that that comes from. So I think that a lot of like the categorizations and the binaries that we are so accustomed to mm. in this culture, it it comes from a fear response. It's like I need to know where where I fit. I need to know where my tribe is. And so and that's totally human and totally natural. That so would we, have been nice if we had a tribe, man, because we're one of the most divided races on earth. 
Right, but I think that what you're experiencing is people associating, like people in this country tend to associate um, blackness, being black, mm -hmm. being a part of that tribe mm -hmm. as struggle. Mm. So for you to move to Glendale away from the black neighborhoods, which are traditionally and historically more broken down in this country, right? are more impoverished, experience more difficulties. For you to move out is to, you know, say that you're better than us. And it's mm. like, no, you're better than this. And that's not to like frown upon any of yeah. those neighborhoods. And the, like, it's beautiful and rich in culture. And there's so much that we can learn from those spaces. And also, if we define ourselves by our economic status and say, that's what makes us black, then we're pretty defeated in that regard if Tell that makes sense it. right Tell like then we have nowhere to go hey man like i don't know like it was strange to me it's just like the cursing thing mm -hmm. i didn't grow up cursing my dad was in the military my he was in the military but he never cursed in front of me mm -hmm. <laughs> my mom was an english literature teacher wow so I like didn't grow up cursing because I wasn't exposed to that. Mm, mm -hmm. Like I started learning pidgin English when I was like 10, 11. And pidgin English is like kind of yeah. like, you know, in Nigeria, like street language or something. Mm -hmm. And that was pretty strange. Most, some like learned pidgin English like from childhood or something. Mm -hmm. So when I don't curse, it's just because it's not me. Yeah. I rarely wear jeans. I own like one pair. Uh -huh. I wear chinos most places I go to. And when I just, you know, get somewhere and, like, they see this guy wearing some khakis all tucked in, not oh, cursing. Uh -huh. It's kind of like living Glendale. Got you. It's like, uh... Yeah. Yeah, you know. Yeah. But, hey, It's you know. disappointing. It, it, it's... It, so that's why I love Issa Rae so much because she came out with a form of, like, comedy and entertainment uh -huh. that wasn't Cat Williams but wasn't, uh, I don't know who's there, Chris Rock. Okay. It was kind of like in the middle. Yeah. In a way. So. Well, I don't know what the middle of those two things are. I feel like those are in the same kind of bracket. Really? Chris Rock? <laughs> Chris Rock almost feels like, oh, should I, who is there? Maybe Jordan Peele or something. Okay. Yeah. That makes so, sense. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, yeah. I think that that's what I've noticed, right? Is when we are in resistance to other people, that usually represents something that we are not willing to accept in ourselves. So these folks that are judging you based off of what you're wearing and how you speak and where you live are, 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 are encaging themselves in a way, you know, they're saying I can't be that or else I'm, I don't know, stepping outside. I'm betraying my race. I'm I'm no longer a part of the tribe. I'm exiled. Whatever it is that they experience in that moment is being projected on you. And I get that a lot. And I've I've learned to like let people have their own shit. You know, like that's yours. I'm cool. I'm cool being who I am. I'm cool with you who you are. Mm. And if I'm not, if I get snagged on something, then that's my shit. And I have to mm. investigate that. Okay. Okay, cool. You speak for you describe yourself as a poet who speaks for women. I don't speak for them. Well, I think I uplift them, right? Because okay. it's not my job to take the mic from anybody. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. Okay, let me let me reframe that. <clears throat> you uplift women mm. and and women and non-gender conforming people. Non-gender conforming people, right? 
is there a reason why you chose to uplift those certain groups of people did you go through a certain experience or it was just being in a society that you know where those two people are almost like at the bottom mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. you know the totem pole in a way yeah and you just look you have this fighting spirit i mean you're an activist in some sense mm-hmm. you have this spirit of fighting for those you know who can't or giving a voice to those who are like ignored by society or mm-hmm. it's because of like a certain experience that you went through well i want to the wording is important to me here um so i don't i never stepped into this like i'm gonna speak for people and i'm gonna like that i i literally just told my story and i think that the process of that that's why i teach right people being armed with their own story is what crumbles oppression it's what crumbles stereotypes. It's what crumbles, um, you know, the systemic issues that we face. Because I'm sure you found out through this podcast, it is very hard to typecast any person that you've set across the table from, mm-hmm. right? Like, they could be from this region that you have all of these expectations of and, like, be in the crossword puzzles. And you're like, whoa, that's nuanced. You know, like, it's as simple as that. And so I find that... People telling their authentic story tends to be very political automatically because mm. our 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 political system really operates on those binaries and keeping people divided and separated. Mm. And like you said, we find out that there we have way more in common than than we ever thought possible when we just have an honest conversation without any pretense of, you know, how much money do you make and where do you live and why do you wear these clothes instead of just yeah. being like, what are your experiences? So that's I stepped into the realm of poetry with that. And as I've evolved, as my sexual orientation has evolved, as my gender identity has evolved, I have made those things more visible just by being honest about who I am. And that can enable people to see and say, oh, that does exist. That is okay. And then they get to live their authentic self. That happens on the stage. That happens in the coffee shops. That happens when I'm checking into a hotel. Like, literally, I've had people be like, what? You just, you go by a different name than it's on your ID? And then their head explodes. And then they're like, I've been wanting to go by this name forever. And then they do, right? Like, these just, like, simple things. Because we are more complex than we're given permission to be. So, you know, this activist word is, like, dope. And and I'll carry it. But really, all I'm doing is just being me and vocal about that and allowing visibility for people who that that's probably not safe for. Right. I have a lot of privileges in that realm so I can step out there and be like, hey, this exists now. Make space. Which is how most of the renowned activists in history. I suppose so. (laughs) I didn't think about it like that. They didn't set out to do anything. MLK was just there, you know, doing Mm -hmm. his thing. Yeah, I think about um, Sam people, Cook especially. Like Sa- Sam Cook was like traveling. The Imagine United if States Sam Cook and... lived to be like seventy or something. Yeah, that would be nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah there's yeah. a lot of people who should have lived longer. Yeah, make yeah. here while the sun shines, man. Mm-hmm. Before you get on the FBI's radar, you know. Yeah, that's a whole story. Who knows? <laughs> who knows? Yeah. In your poem, Eve, mm-hmm. um, there's a line in your poem that says. It's not a snake that tempted me to leave the promised land. Mm-hmm. There's some meaning there. Yes. 
<laughs> I try to I try to sneak a little bit of meaning into my poetry every okay. now and then. So Asetu <laughs> has a poem called Eve. <laughs> you can go on YouTube and look for it. I think I'll put like a description in the uh, a link in the description or something. But she has a poem called Eve, and there's a a line there that says, "There was no snake that tempted me to leave the promised land." What's that about? So the following line is, "It was your." whips chains something or other Mm. so the idea is in there so that whole poem was birthed out of that was really the first time that i was coming to unlearn all of the uh, white supremacist ideology around my race and my heritage so often said without being said um white people are superior africa is you know, dog shit, like there's no point, you know. And so in my research, I begin to understand that this was all, um, yeah, a way of, of systemically making us feel inferior to the point that we didn't even reach back, that we didn't even question what we were being taught. So as I began to learn, like the first, the first woman, the first person ever was found in South Africa, right? all life originated in Africa. (laughs) You know, so that was, that was an homage to that is like, so Eve is a poem that's a persona piece, meaning that I'm taking on the personality or I'm taking on the being of something or someone else. In this case, the original woman, which I'm essentially making the case is not this white woman in this garden. Mm. It's this black woman in South Africa. And so the idea of, you know, it was not a snake that tempted me to leave the promised land. It was your whips, guns, and chains. Um, is 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 a note is a nod to slavery. slavery like that yeah. is what took us away from the the harmonization that we could have had as a species, even. And it's funny you say that because it's so unfortunate that years ago, you know, physically. And I'm African, so I can say this. I'm West African, I'm Nigerian, so I can say this. <laughs> Years ago, there was slavery, like physical slavery. And they came mm-hmm. and they, you know, pitted us against each other, mm-hmm. took us away mm-hmm. to Cuba and North Carolina and all these places and work on plantations and whatever. But now, especially where I come from, people are willingly leaving and people tend to see the West as being superior, to your point. So it's almost like mental slavery in a way. Oh, yeah. I think that's a very accurate way to describe it. Because it's like, I'm in this apartment, you're there. What we have is cooler than yours. You need to be here. Mm. I mean, we have all the states called New Mexico and Santa Fe or whatever, but they're illegal aliens. Mm Mm-hmm. Undocumented, yeah. Undocumented, whatever. And you should want what we have. Right, right. Even though we want your minerals and we use all your resources to make the iPhones and we use your talent pool to build our wealth Mm -hmm. and we stash your money Mm -hmm. in our banks to develop our economy. Mm -hmm. But still... You're inferior. You're inferior. Oof. The most, yeah, wealthy 
continent in the nation in terms of resources. Africa, hands down, no contest. And yet the message is you need to come over here if you want to be successful. (laughs) Yeah, that bothers me a lot. It's terrible stuff, man. Yeah, yeah. Mental slavery, for sure. It's terrible stuff. I mean, I like, and that's one thing that's really broken my heart. Mm-hmm. Like, how do we get black people to unite? Mm-hmm. How exactly do like it's everywhere? But from where I come from, I thought it would be better here. It's mm. the same. It might even mm. be worse because mm. Africa still has that you know communal tradition mm-hmm. and all mm-hmm. of that. How do we get black people to freaking <laughs> bound together? Like, what unites oh, no, us sir. besides? <laughs> Popeye's chicken. I don't know. Like, what, what, what will it take? Can we have another civil rights movement in 2019? Is that even possible? That's not possible. I don't. Why think are we so divided? Way. I don't know. Listen, Nosa, I don't. I don't have the answer to that at all. And I think that you know, there's a lot of quote unquote activists in my generation and and the generations that are still alive, and the movement has never stopped. And it's taken on different forms and different people have different ways of approaching it. For me, it it boils down to visibility of authenticity because I think the moment that we start questioning these norms that tell us do this and don't do that, that so many people are just doing that on autopilot and that is what keeps the system alive. The moment we really start to question that and return to our body and our right brain and be like, how does this feel to me? Because that's really what I do, right? On a daily basis, it's like, do I feel like wearing shoes? Do I not? I'm in my body. I know what my body needs to feel most comfortable. That is revolutionary. And there are other ways that people lead the revolution. But like, that's that's all I got. You know, like, I don't know how this works, but I'm just <sighs> going to do my best. I'm going to keep asking every single person. <laughs> like, how exactly? We're so divided. Oh, we don't even need a lot of people. All we need is like 5%. But I guess, Nosa, I, I tend to, yes and... If we focus on how divided we are, that tends to create more. Like whatever we it's focus hard on, not it to. tends to create more. But it, but but appreciation, and gratitude of what exists tends to bring more because it bring actually more. puts your body in a state of of like, oh, I'm getting I'm getting what I need, and that tends to allow you to seek out more of what you need. I think that focusing on what we don't want tends to create more of it. And I say that because you know. I didn't have a culture shock. I mean, the most culture shock I had in the U.S. was probably traffic, like driving. The the lights was somewhat of culture shock because okay. that, that whole thing, like, if a light turns green, you still have to you go forward, but wait uh-huh. for the car to the cars to go by before you turn. I'm like, then why not stay freaking red? Like, where I come <laughs> from, red is red and green is green. Like, uh, okay. If it goes green, everyone else stops. And you move. You don't have to like inch forward and wait for the cars coming the other way to pass before you go by. So that was like the most culture shock I I had because, you know, I I was exposed to the media quotes. So I had. And but coming here, you know, I talked about, you know, the dressing and speaking uh, in a certain way and just being like, oh, no, you're not black enough. in Mm -hmm, quote. mm -hmm. And that was a little bit surprising for me. That was one aspect. Another aspect was, and this came as a shock actually, was 
the divide or the growing divide, I would say, or the growing misunderstanding between Africans and African Americans. Mm. Yeah. And that was surprising to me because I'm like, you guys know that we're all from the same continent, right? Mm-hmm. Like everyone has the same origin. And African American, African Americans or black people are just what, like 10, 15% of the US. So even if everyone bands together, we're still not a majority. But within that 10, 15%, we're creating divides of 5%, ADOS, 5%, immigrants, 5%, this, 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 like, that's really surprising to me. Mm-hmm. And it's something also that breaks my heart. Yeah. And you hear things, and especially me, be, me being Nigerian, because Nigeria, you know, where we come from, we have this drive and zeal, and it can be used for good and evil, mm. depending on where you pivot to. Mm-hmm. But you start getting remarks, you, you start, you know, hearing things like we're taking opportunities away mm. from African-Americans. Yeah. We are not making African-Americans look good, mm. you know. And this is yes. after years of enduring the whole African booty scratcher thing. Like, I don't know where that came from. It's, yeah. And I, I, I mean, don't... you know where it came from. It came from racism and white supremacy. But listen. Wait, it was learned? Is that what you're trying to say? Absolutely. I, right? I, like I refuse all of to this, believe that. You don't... So, it was learned? B- from white supremacy and Wait, racism? how can you... That's almost like Stockholm Syndrome. How would oh, you... Oh, it's definitely Stockholm how, Syndrome. How would you be <laughs> the at the receiving end of a certain discriminatory so, act and then inflict that on other people? So great, That's crazy. right? Great question. So mental slavery. Mm. And it's it, 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 like it's it's more complex than that. So imagine being ripped from your home, taken to another continent, having nothing familiar, right? Like you were able to like watch it before you got here, you know, have a little bit. Nothing is familiar. You are not allowed to speak your own language. You are not allowed to practice your religion. Like you can sing songs, but they better be in English and they better be about God. And you better submit because you, you, basically have no other choice and of course people went some other ways but as a majority speaking like you have no other choice of course you are going to learn the the ways of your captor to appease Mm, them so that you can survive Mm. that is a human instinct to survive right that is our most basic instinct Mm. so yeah a good centuries later Sure, you'll 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 use a derogatory um, statement to your own to somebody with your own skin tone in a second if it means that you get a meal. You know, like that's the association at that part at that point. So I have to I have to appreciate the conflict that occurs between African and African Americans because we did have such unique breeds of white supremacy in our upbringing, right? The continent of Africa experienced colonization, the Americas experienced enslavement, and and the ways in which those things are reconciled when we meet, it, it's very conflict-oriented. And I'm not the type of person who dislikes conflict because I think if we lean into it, we begin to to get to like the core shit. 
and really have a bond that isn't just like, oh, we're all black. Let's get together and, and fight the power. Being it's authentic. Like that could, yeah, that couldn't last for very long, which we maybe have seen some of those cycles of that burnout because we're not, we have to do like the body work too, right? Like we can't just be up here mentally like this makes sense. It has to be a full holistic experience. So if I hear what you're saying, and forgive me for using this analogy, it's mm. kind of like the relationship you have with your mom, right? Mm. There were some conflicts sometime, you know, in the past, mm -hmm. but that led to you guys better understanding yourself mm -hmm. and creating a better better bond. So I, you're saying that what we're experiencing between Africans and African-American now is kind of like growing pains. Mm. I hope so. I mean, if we grow, right? <laughs> like, ideally, it's growing pains. Ideally, best case scenario, we're moving towards something great. Ah, uh, hopefully, hopefully. And I cause... think you don't get that without leaning fully into the pain. Mm. Isn't that dangerous though to embrace conflict in that way? You can, because you know I don't have my third eye open. <laughs> <That's so funny. laughs> I might check in my forehead right now. No third eye. No, there's definitely right. we are definitely in need of um, people who are skilled in in conflict transformation and 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 in communication, nonviolent mm. communication, right? Definitely need those things um, who can guide that. But if it's facilitated, and that can look any number of ways, that can look somebody who's formally trained, that can look like somebody who just instinctively understands these things and does it with their friends as we speak, right? And giving them the opportunity to step up and be in leadership positions in our community. Mm. It definitely does take some guidance and we're all capable of it. Okay. Okay, cool. <laughs> Whatever, yeah. <laughs> we're here on a Tuesday, y'all. What's up? <laughs> okay, no problem. No problem. Uh, so it's been very interesting um, talking to you, getting to interact with you. This obviously won't be our, our last time no. interacting. Um, I think you're a very interesting person. Thank you. Uh, hopefully, you know, I'm new to the city, so I haven't been out much. But, you know, yeah, one of these days, you know, we'll see. Is there any, like, popular uh, cafe, like a poetry cafe or like an underground music or I mean, I like an art tell the or, underground uh, shit but oh, like okay, okay. <laughs> no no i'm joking um gypsy house cafe <laughs> they house. just reopened they were in and this is in Den this is in Col this is on broadway i can't remember their exact okay. words but yeah gypsy house cafe okay. um they have been a stable in the community for decades they were in cap hill for a long time okay um and held a lot of capital hill spots yeah and now mm -hmm. they are um south broadway uh, Whittier Cafe, Ethiopian owns. It's mm. in Whittier in Denver, and then uh, Five Points is a, is a gathering mm. point for a lot of poets, just because mm. Crossroads Theater used to house Slam Nuba, which was a um, prominent Black poetry venue, is a prominent Black poetry venue, and now they are every third Friday in in the evening. They put on a set of Brother Jeff's, which is just down the street from oh. Coffee at the Point yeah. in Five Points District. Um, and this is yeah. all in Colorado, by the way, if yeah. you guys are listening. Yeah, so these are Denver, mostly Denver. Denver. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Where, where, where can a tourist, like if someone listens to you and you know, I have listeners who might just happen to be in Colorado, where are they most likely to catch you performing? 
<laughs> uh, I'm I'm a I'm a butterfly. It's hard to capture me. <laughs> uh, okay, guys, you heard I it. Yeah, you have to astral project <laughs> to where she is. Ask spirit <laughs> where <laughs> I am. No, um, best bet. Follow me. Um, I have a fan page on Facebook, so like me on Facebook. Um, uh, like me on Instagram. I have a website that I never touch, so maybe one day. <laughs> yeah, you want to drop but, those? Have uh, those? All of Facebook? those are Ase to Shango. So Facebook, Ase to X. X, yes. So Shango on Ase to Shango on Facebook, Ase to Shango on Instagram, and then my website is Ase to Shango dot com. So keep it simple. Perfect, perfect. Before we play something called Endgame, um, I have this thing I. This game I play with all my podcast guests um, after every episode. So the purpose of this podcast is to get to talk to people from different backgrounds and in that way, you know, casually disseminating, excuse me, disseminating certain information, you know, educating people in that sense so it doesn't feel all methodic. Mm. But at the end, I like to do it in a deliberate manner. So I like to ask you one or two easy questions, simple questions. Uh, pretty simple uh, to you, but you know, someone who's listening from Brazil or mm, somewhere might not have any idea. So, but if we, before we play that, uh, I want to ask. I've been trying to, you know, delve into your life, your career, um, that kind of thing. But do you have any specific questions about where I'm from, like Nigeria or you know, Africa? Do you have you wondered about anything? I mean, I'm not a wealth of knowledge on those two things, but to the best of my ability, if I maybe have an answer i can like share that and hopefully maybe some of our listeners also can find out about that well it's two questions mm -hmm. how long were you in nigeria and what was your favorite part of being in nigeria mm -hmm. um i mean i was in nigeria for i mean i just came to the u.s like two years ago really wow yeah so That's the majority of your life yeah majority of my life for like 28 years or so um so yeah my favorite part about Nigeria is. <laughs> Go in, poet. Don't be nice. I mean, there are so many good parts. Uh, the food is really great mm. uh, to me. Um, but there's just that sheer hustle and mm. like that the Nigerian environment gives you. I face with so many different challenges, but even if. Why well, not face with those challenges? Because there are people who grew up in the West, but still embody that spirit of hustle. It's just something like you're there and it's almost like iron sharpening iron because everyone is trying to get ahead of you. Like every your parents, your no. siblings, <laughs> everyone is trying to get ahead of you. So you better bring your A game. They don't wow. care if you're two years old, five years old. Bring your A game. So... It's just being in that environment of, you know, like I said, so many challenges like corruption, power, but still mm -hmm. amidst all of that, um, the shared determination and Nigerian. Did you, you get know. any of that in D.C.? Um, or is it not the same? It, it can be compared, not to the level. Okay. Not to the, I did get, you know, in some part we have a sizable African population in DC, mm -hmm. Ethiopians and, you know, other parts and in a way, but not to the extent. But I mean uh, the hustle. Yeah, the hustle in a way in DC, you know, mm -hmm. not at like New York. I, so I like to describe Lagos, which is like a city in Nigeria yeah, as yeah. New York on steroids. Uh huh. So I, you know amazing. how New York is kind of like, DC is like a notch below New York, if I would say. 
So it's not up to like that New York hustle. Boston is a little more organized in DC. Uh-huh. But New York is kind of like everyone walking fast, you know, talking on their phone. Everywhere's dirty, <laughs> that kind of thing. Yeah. So it's not up to that level, but it's you know, it's it's there. I have wondered about that because I think some of my favorite artists from some of my favorite writers are from Nigeria, mm. like um, uh, yeah. Wiki Maisie, a uh, local poet who you should probably talk to, Tolu Wanimi Obiwale. Uh, oh, say that say that again. Toluwanimi Obiwale. Toluwanimi. Oh my goodness. Mm-hmm. That was a full name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean she she earned okay. it. Like her she okay. is a, an impeccable poet. So I, I really have like felt like, well, all of the writers are in Nigeria. Like Hey, tell me about it, man. Uh, like, the Wale Shoinkas, the Chino Achebe, the Chimamandas. Mm-hmm. You know, all those guys, you know. Yeah. Like I said, Nigeria just it seems like to me, it's almost like it deposits something in you. Mm. What you choose to use that for, you can either become Professor X or Magneto. Mm. You know? Mm-hmm. Speaking of, I heard Denzel is going to play Magneto in the next X-Men. I don't know. But anyway, knows, that's yeah. by the way. <laughs> anyway, well, Endgame. We're still waiting on <laughs> Little Mermaid, so we'll see how it goes. You yeah, know? we'll see. Endgame, are you ready? All right, let's do it. Okay, the first one is a pretty easy one. You grew up here, so what is the shape of the Colorado map? It's like a square type of situation. Close, but not quite. Rectangle? What do you want yeah, from me? Yeah, that's it. Oh, my gosh. Are you kidding me? Are we that specific? Hey, All man. Right. I know you don't conform to anything. <laughs> I know I'm you, outside the box. Yeah, yeah non-conforming, but <laughs> hell, there are still shapes. God damn it. <laughs> so, yeah, that was pretty you know, interesting when I first came here. The Colorado map is actually a rectangle, so it doesn't have any squidgy whatever at the angles. It doesn't. It doesn't go a certain way. Like you don't have to draw. It's very easy to draw. So <laughs> I imagine like kids growing up, I like draw the map of Colorado. Just make a rectangle. That's mm-hmm, it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that was pretty interesting uh, to know. So for those of you who don't know that, yeah, that's a piece of information for you. Second one, it's. Uh, let me see if you know this one. Mm. Poetry, mm-hmm. graffiti, mm-hmm. activism. Mm-hmm. Let's combine all that one and, and ask this one. Do you know who? Do you happen to know who wrote and performed one of the most famous spoken word um, pieces in history? The revolution will not be televised. Gil Scott Heron. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Okay. I knew it before you even asked the you name. You know of your the shit. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "What? Let me get it." There it is. You know your shit. Okay. Okay. Respect. Respect. She's all about it. <laughs> <laughs> She's all about her craft. So yeah, <laughs> the revolution will not be televised. Yeah. Was um, written and performed by Jill Scott Harris or Heron and. April 1971, and it was like the soundtrack to the Black Panther Party mm-hmm. movement in the 60s and 70s and 80s, and it's been a timeless piece even till now. True that. So, thank you for coming, Asay, too. My pleasure. And if you guys want to follow us on social media also, uh, it's Culture Class Podcast everywhere except Twitter. Twitter is Culture Class Pod. Send us an email, cultureclasspodcast at gmail.com. If you're ever in, even if you're not in Colorado, Astro Project reach yeah. and reach out to us too. Say hi. Uh, we're going to be, you know, posting our social media links as well in the description. So uh, listen to her works. Um, do you have like a 
project you're working on right now? I'm working like on a book. book. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I'm working on a is. book called Belonging. So when I was talking belonging. earlier about um, mm. feeling like I didn't belong in mm. Africa, feeling like I don't belong in America. Okay. So it's just all of the ways in which we try to find belonging. Poetry collection. Okay. Maybe we'll have you back on an episode once that book is out. Oh, that'd be Give amazing. you, uh, you know, in our own little way. I feel like you're promoting us, not us promoting <laughs> you. <laughs> but, you know, in our own little way. We're all in this together. Yeah, <laughs> all right, guys. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. <laughs>